If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Hey, if you've been following me long enough, then you know that I am the founder of many mastermind groups, including M1. But what does that actually mean for you? Well, it means that there's a group of over 400 people out there that are, are high achievers. They're from all over the world, walking different paths, but they're sharing in the principles and the practices of success, holding each other accountable and urging each other through positive peer pressure to take their life and business to greater heights. I'm so proud of the 75 whole life millionaires that I've created, the lives I've transformed, the people I've helped lose weight, quit smoking, stop drinking, and get into the best shape of their life. In fact, I've even helped people meet the love of their life. When you get into a curated group of people that want more out of life, it's so much easier for you to get more out of life. So if you're serious about getting out of your own way and creating a life you're excited about, then get on a call with one of my team members at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and get started today. Welcome to another episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. My guest is a phenomenal, phenomenal interview conversation. Um, Rebecca Gregory was in the 2013 Boston, Massachusetts bombing. In fact, she was three feet from the bomb when it went off with her five-year-old son. And you're going to hear the story from somebody who has gone through dozens and dozens and dozens of surgeries and will continue for the rest of her life, who has gone through post-traumatic distress syndrome, um, has dealt with a five-year-old boy who went through the event too and watched his mom get half blown up with parts all over the place. It's a compelling, crazy story of recovery, triumph over disaster, and refusing to be a victim in an event that she had no control over. She continues to go through surgeries. She has her own podcast, and she is now working with um, a foundation called Rebecca's Angels, where she helps other people overcome their mental health treatment that has come from trauma. It was a very emotional conversation that I had with her. Um, I'm sure you're going to feel the depths of her soul and the reframing that she's done that will be incredibly useful for you as you move forward in your life and the courage that she exemplifies in my conversation. So let's go to my conversation with Rebecca Gregory. I think you're gonna love it. Rebecca, what a treat to have you here on the Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life broadcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about what what has happened for you, your whole life, but also most significantly as you had this, what I call a triple E, an extreme emotional event and it shapes the destiny of our life. And I think that now your life's purpose has been to help a lot of people with trauma. So take us back a little bit, maybe prior to the event, what your life was like, and then let's talk, we'll talk our way through it. 
Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rock. This is an honor and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And yeah, I mean, it was definitely extreme, I would say, but life before it's interesting because I was a single mom of a five-year-old and I thought I was doing really well, both in life and just finances. And I didn't realize until after this happened to me that I had just completely been living the wrong way. Not that I purposely took everything for granted, but because for 26 years of my life, I expected to get up out of the bed and do the same thing every single day by putting my feet on the ground. Typically I'm running all over the place and my alarm clock had to go off about 13 different times before I would actually get up. And it's just really crazy how sometimes in our life we have that moment. And in my case, a bombing which we'll get to, that just really makes us understand how short life is. And then all of a sudden you want to just suck every ounce of everything out of it. And I think that was definitely the journey that I've been on for sure. So you're 26 years old, you have a daughter that's five, you're living life, you're active. You said that um, your finances were in a good place. What were you doing? Yeah, I was in a corporate housing firm. I was an account manager at the time. So I was making really good money for being 26 years old. I was out on my own. I had my own house. My son was five and I had started dating a guy from New York. And so we had decided we were going to go up to Boston because his mom had qualified to run in the Boston Marathon. And I had to even kind of look it up because I was nowhere in the realm of marathons. I didn't know what it took to run a marathon. I didn't know where people ran them. And so apparently it's a big deal. And Patriots Day is a holiday in Boston. So I learned very quickly that this was going to be a huge trip. And it just so happened to be my 26th birthday weekend. It was my first time ever even in the city. So I brought Noah, my five-year-old son with me. And I remember the weekend of we caught a Red Sox game, we toured the city, and we were all packed up and ready to go home as soon as that marathon had, was concluded on Monday. And then what happened? So at first we started out the day at the 17 mile marker. And what a lot of people don't tell you is that when you go to watch someone run a marathon, you end up running the same marathon with them trying to keep up because here we've got our, you know, tracker with an app on our phone. So we're watching our runner with every single step she takes. And we're trying to make our way through this enormous crowd. And I had never seen so many people in my entire life. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, why did I bring my kindergartner to a marathon of half a million people? And one person in our group of about nine said, hey, let's get closer to the finish line so that we can see our runner when she crosses. So we started out at 17, we held up our signs, and then we made our way through the crowd. And that's a lot easier said than done. And by the time we got to the finish line, we were in a great spot right in the middle of the action. But my son, there's only so many runners he can watch go by and the crowd and all of that. So he said, I'm just bored, mom. When are we going to leave? You know, and he's tugging on my clothes and he's like, mom, please. And at that point, I didn't even know when we were going to leave. And so I said, buddy, 
why don't you sit down on my feet like you're a scientist and play in the rocks? And of course, there's no rocks. We were on asphalt, but to a five-year-old, luckily, yeah, that was a cool thing to do. And my thinking was he's not going to get lost in the crowd and I'll still be able to see our runner. But that single decision led to something I had no idea at the time, but it ultimately saved my little boy's life when a bomb in a backpack went off three feet behind us. Wow. Yeah. So you're standing in the crowd, the bomb goes off, your son is on your feet. Yes. But you, you get the shrapnel or what exactly happened to you? So essentially, because I was the shield between my son and the bomb, I took everything in the back of the legs, the torso and the left hand. And that's what ultimately saved him. So Noah had a cut to his bone on his right leg that they were able to stitch up. He had a piece of shrapnel graze the back of his head. So he's got a small little bald spot, but I'm sitting here talking to you today. I'm getting ready to have my 71st surgery, 71. And I lost my leg below the knee and will continue to have operations throughout my life because I still have that much metal in my body that causes ongoing issues. Wow. But my son's fine. He's 13. God bless you. That is amazing. It was just meant to be. It's a, it's a proud mama moment in a weird way, if that makes sense. It's really strange because I'll never take credit for that. You know, I believe that there's a bigger plan for our lives. And if there wasn't, then Noah and I both would have been wiped out on that street. And I'm thankful every single day, but it goes back to the mindset that I was in before this, you know, I, I was trying so hard to just survive my life that I forgot why I was living and what I was passionate about. And in some of the things that I feel like I could bring to the table and I wasn't necessarily giving. And so when a bomb goes off and, you know, the majority of us won't get blown up by a bomb at a marathon, but every single person has life blow up in their face. And I just felt like that was my wake up call. And no longer was I going to take my life for granted because I was just thankful to be here at that point, just another day to be there. Yes. Wow. That's beautiful. So you were with nine other people. Did anybody else get hurt? They had some smaller injuries and I was the one that was closest to the bomb. So luckily, I, luckily or unluckily, I took the brunt of the explosion wow. and I found myself the, the hard part though, rock is that it's not the physical. I mean, we can talk about surgeries and the whole extensive physical journey, but the emotional is really what gets us. It's everything we saw that day. My bones were laying next to me on the sidewalk. I was in a pool of my own blood. There were nails, ball bearings, BBs, everything that these brothers packed into these pressure cooker bombs. And then there's people's body parts laying on the ground, not even attached to them. So what we saw was a war scene and then more, more importantly, my son saw that, my five-year-old. So not only was my security gone, but his innocence was gone. Yeah. How, how did you, were you conscious enough to console your son? Were you aware of him? Well, tell, talk me through that. 
that part is really a miracle because I, no one had a clue that Noah and I were together because when the bomb went off, it was pure chaos and there were people all over the place. And, and I look back and I'm really thankful because, you know, those first responders, those innocent civilians, there are so many people that rushed in to save us, not knowing if a third or a fourth or a fifth bomb was getting ready to go off. And one particular moment of it, I really felt like I was going to die. I mean, I could not lift anything but my head and I was panning around to see all of this evil. I didn't know what had happened, but you knew that it was so evil. And I just laid back and I said, God, if this is it for me, take me, but let me know that my son is okay. And right within seconds, maybe a minute, I could hear my little boy vividly screaming, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I looked to my right and I shouldn't have been able to hear him because my eardrums were blown out, but I could vividly hear him say that. And I looked over and he was in the arms of a police officer. And so even though I knew that I was just, I didn't know what my life was going to be. I didn't even know if I was going to make it. I thought that was my confirmation that I'm, I'm done, but I knew that he was all right. And that was the most important thing to me. What do you think is this magical power we have to care for others at such a deep level at the expense almost of ourselves? I think it goes back to it's better to give than to receive. You know, we are givers. We want the people in our life to be happy and loved and safe. And especially as as parents and you know, I I would give anything and I would go back to that same scene if it meant saving my son all over again because I wanted him to live. I wanted, I could see his, his future and all of the things that he might be able to do. And so I'm like, if this is it, if this is all I have, then the best part about me is that I have this wonderful son that gets to go on and live this beautiful life. And that's all I wanted at that moment. Yeah. How's he doing now? How has it affected him? So Noah's doing great now. He just turned 13 in August. And like I said before, the the physical is nothing compared to the emotional. And so I spent 56 days in the hospital initially, and I had to go home to my parents' house because I could obviously no longer take care of myself. There was still a huge extensive journey after for me. But the first thing that Noah said to me when I was wheeled in the house in my wheelchair, he whispered in my ear and he said, don't worry, mom, we're never leaving this house again. And it broke me because here is my five-year-old who is supposed to not have a care in the world, all of a sudden is scared to death to leave the house. And then it became, he didn't want to go to school. He didn't want to get back on his bike. He didn't want to do anything that he in his mind thought was going to harm either one of us. And of course, that's when PTSD really entered the picture. But also I remember leaving the hospital and thinking to myself, like, what, what am I going to do now? Because for so long I had been in these four blank walls with all of these wonderful nurses and doctors. And all of a sudden I had to go back home. And I thought that that was going to be a really wonderful, familiar, comfortable thing. But instead 
on the way home, I felt like every single person was out to attack us. And then when I got to my parents' house, the familiar sounds of the dog barking and, and my little sister and all of this was too much. It was so scary. And so I had no idea what was happening until I started learning about PTSD and trauma. Wow. 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 Is it like a fuse that gets broken in your system and it's overloaded and you just can't handle the amperage of regular day-to-day things for a while? Yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. And for me, I didn't realize because trauma has been a part of my life ever since I can remember. And so when I was searching for answers of how to help not only my son, but me, what I found is I had to go back to the beginning. I had to sit down and go through my childhood where my dad was an evangelist who traveled all over the world preaching, but came home and beat my mother and I and told me every day that I would never be good enough for anyone or anything. And then I had to go through all of these different traumatic experiences. And in fact, six months before Boston, I got held up in a Walmart parking lot and robbed at gunpoint. I thought that was going to be the biggest highlight of my life. Not even close, Rock. Not even close. Just a warm up. <laughs> Just a warm up. <laughs> I can't even make this stuff up, but to me, that's normal, right? My life has been this series of just sink or swim. And so all I've known how to do ever since I was little is just swim as fast as I could, because I knew if I stopped for any length of time that it would all catch up to me. And I think the first couple of nights laying there in my mom's house in bed where I could do nothing, I, I was either in the bed or in a wheelchair 24 for seven for a year and a half. And I was on 37 different medications just to make it throughout the day, but I was laying there and that's when it all crept in. And that's where my whole life that I had been swimming so fast, I was finally just like, I'm drowning. I am going to drown. This is too much. How am I ever going to live like this? Wow. So that's seven years ago. And how, how has your son adapted now? Does he feel like it's more or less a new normal? Is he, is he adapted? Do you feel fully or? I think Noah has fully adapted. And the reason that I bring all this up with my PTSD is because it sent a, a, just this passion through me that I had to get help for my son. Not only did I have to get help for him, but I had to get help for myself because I could not parent and be the person that he needed me to be without it. And so it sent me to a Google search and I typed in, what is PTSD? What does trauma look like? How, how do you help this? What type of therapies out there? And it was kind of like a rabbit hole that I went down. And in this search, I also found how many other children and families were suffering with their own traumatic situations and not getting the help that was afforded to Noah and I, because it was such a public event. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful because the research and the just the never ending phone calls and all the stuff that we had to do ultimately led us both to our healing and being able to reprocess our traumatic memories and now allowing us to set up a foundation that does that for other people. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. You have your foundation, you help um, individuals that have gone through trauma. Tell us a little bit about that, Rebecca. So we found a really awesome modality called accelerated resolution therapy. And we just, it it changed my life. It changed Noah's life. Now I had gone through traditional talk therapy for about 18 months. I felt like it was helping at the time, but as soon as I would leave the office, I felt like this is as good as it's going to get. Like, I'm never going to feel better from this. I'm always going to be scared to see a backpack or a suitcase or any type of bag that I feel would have a bomb in it. I'm always going to, you know, be at the campfire and have to leave because of the smell. I couldn't make s'mores with my family. And it, I just like had this moment where I'm like, okay, I'm okay with this as long as Noah's okay, because I'm very fortunate. Noah was five years old. He's been able to reprocess his memories. He's, he doesn't remember as much as he used to. And so that's been a huge blessing, but it really took us some time and a couple of years of just diving into different therapies, different modalities for us to discover accelerated resolution therapy. And within about three to five sessions, you can do the reprocessing you need to and kind of hit the reset button. And I went from being scared of a backpack to going back to Boston and standing in the same place on the six year anniversary that I was and the, the, the bells of the church were going off. And it was just this really amazing, beautiful moment because I was not traumatized at all. So Rebecca's Angels, yes, is what it's called? Yes, it's Rebecca's Angels. And we provide mental health treatment to children and their families because we believe in stopping generational trauma because I am a product of, of generational trauma. So you have you have this adorable personality about yourself. You're pretty, you've got a cutesy little voice. <laughs> you've been through a shit ton of stuff. How do you, how have you compartmentalized or how have you allowed yourself or how have you found the route to this place where at least on the surface you have the ability to have a part of yourself that is so sweet? I think it goes back to really that work on myself during that time. So, I mean, I could do nothing but think about my life, think about what I wanted out of life and think about, you know, if we have such a short time here, how am I going to act moving forward and what's going to be most beneficial for not only me, but for my family, because my family had to go through hell and back with me. And so at first, you know, they didn't even take my leg right away. They waited 18 months after because they wanted to fix me. Everyone was so concerned about making sure that I didn't lose my leg because they, they didn't want me to have to go through the prosthetics and not have a real leg and all of that. But ultimately, and I think that this, I mean, it goes with a lot of things in our lives that the toughest obstacles often lead us to our destiny. And for me, I had to go through the process of losing my leg. I had to accept that every morning I'm going to wake up and reach for a wheelchair or a fake leg for the rest of my life. But with that, 
I have a daily reminder of how short my life is, of how I want to live every moment and hug my kids and my family that much harder and try to make an impact. And I decided that on a fake leg, I wanted to do everything on it that I didn't do on two real legs. And so I started running and I ran the last portion of the Boston Marathon in 2015, three and a half months after getting my leg for the first time. And, and I started doing Spartan races and like, I had all this power in me that I didn't realize was there. And in the same year I lost my leg, I ran the part of the Boston marathon. And then I had to testify in the trial of the remaining bomber. And I had to sit there while the biggest enemy of my life, really, he joked with his attorney. She was rubbing him on his back. He's cracking all types of jokes with like trying, or I'm sorry, that he didn't acknowledge the jury on the first day of the trial and he's not even standing up. And so people are rehashing the worst moments of their lives. And I found out, by the way, I find out that I have to testify in the trial couple of days after I had my leg amputated, the, the U S attorney and the FBI agent show up at my rehab room in the hospital. And they say, we hope you're doing well with this new leg of life, literally. And now we're going to have to have you come back to Boston and testify. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is a movie at this point. I'm like, this is my life. Are you, are you serious? And so But something really amazing happened with that because not only did I go testify, which was the hardest part, but they called me back to do a victim impact statement. And I Googled what a victim impact statement even was because I had never been part of a federal trial before. And it was the statement that is made before the judge and the jury make their final decision. And so I thought to myself and I I watched this guy and I I saw the destruction that he caused. And I, I watched all the victims' families come in and rehash all of this. And I said, I'm not giving this guy any more satisfaction from what he's done. And I'm not gonna spend my time telling him about all the ways that he's altered my life. And so out of 22 people, I went last and I got up and, and I am such a people pleaser and I am, I'm, I'm nice to a fault. I'm from Kentucky. I mean, we are like huggers and bless your hearts and all that stuff. Right. (laughs) But this same Kentucky bless your heart girl got up there. I looked him straight in the eye and it was like, It just was so eerie because his eyes were black and, you know, normally you can tell a lot about a person from their eyes, but he was just completely soulless, but I didn't, I didn't let it wave. Like I, I just was so strong in that moment. And I was like, you know what? I was asked to give a victim impact statement today, but in order to do that, I'd have to be someone's victim and I'm not yours and I'm not your brothers. And I went on to say that one act of hate that stretched a couple hundred feet, we've seen an act of love that stretched hundreds of thousands of miles and that no one was going to remember his name or his brother's name. What they were going to remember was everything that everyone else went on to do. And I said, my promise to you today is that I will spend the rest of my life 
making the world a better place, that I'm going to do my small part every single day that I can to make someone else's day better. And that's a promise that I have stuck to, hopefully I try to, and also it's with me every morning I wake up because if I'm defeated, if I go back, if I call myself a victim, then those two brothers have won and they're not winning. I'm, I'm, my life is too beautiful to allow that to happen. My God, God bless you. That is so beautiful. It is so Thank rich. It is gorgeous. Wow. Goosebumps, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm divinely happy that I have you on this podcast because for those people that are listening, um, there are so many gems in what you've said. There's so many pearls to pull out of that for anybody because the metaphor you said about, you know, life is blowing up for everybody. Every day things are happening. COVID's happening. Mm -hmm. People are depressed. People are going through tough times right now and they are playing the victim. Yeah. And it's a choice, right? It's a choice. It's often, often not a conscious choice because we've trained the society to play the victim. There's even, like you said, a victim statement that's prepared. And if you didn't have the intelligence and the awareness to reframe that and claim back your power, you would have just fed the system. So, yeah. um, so I honor you for that and it's a beautiful thing. And, um, how can people follow you, get more in touch with you, learn from you? Because, you know, obviously you have, um, taken an event that most people, um, I don't know if you know a guy named W. Mitchell. He got burnt in a motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, he said, before the accident, there's 10,000 things I could do. After the accident, there's 9,000. When I focus on the thousand I can't do, I get depressed. When I focus on the 9,000, I feel grateful. And so that's what I choose to do with my life is focus on all the things that I can do and that I choose to do. And there's probably a bunch of things added on there. And he became a motivational speaker, et cetera, et cetera. So um, very powerful message. So I know you speak, but with COVID and everything, there's probably a little bit less of that happening. Um, people need to hear from, from your heart, from your soul. How can, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, RebeccaMGregory.com is my website and I am starting coaching, which I'm really excited about. I feel like everything has led me to that point and I've studied psychology now for a number of years and I just feel like self self-help is really kind of like a cliche, but if we are not together mentally, we can't do anything else. And so if you really wake up every morning with a belief in mind that anything is possible, that you are capable. And I know that you're a big, I am person. What, what comes after the, I am is so important. And for me, I count my blessings. I don't look at my problems. I don't look at the fact that I have to have surgeries for the rest of my life because of the aftermath that I'm still going through. Instead, I look at it as an opportunity and I'm not naive to think that life is a big fairy tale from here either. But if you get into that mindset of gratitude and doing those daily practices, then you just set yourself up for so much more success, other success, excuse me, otherwise, but my website is rebeccamgregory.com. I'm on all social media at Rebecca M. Gregory. So that's the easiest. And then our foundation is rebeccasangels.org. 
So Tony Robbins says, change your expectations for appreciation and you change your life. And I think yes. that the cliche of be grateful it becomes what I call the first level of, of awareness or learning is, you know, it's like, I know I should work out more. I know I should call my mom more. I know I should, you know, do the dishes before I go to bed. That's level one where it's just, you know, cognitive. Level two is when it's emotional, when you wake up in the morning and the dishes aren't done and now you're like, oh, damn it. And, you know, you're yeah. frustrated or what have you. But what you went through is what I call level three of learning is when it's physical. Mm -hmm. When it's physical, it's actually memorable. Yeah. And gratitude, I think, you know, the, the opportunity you got that you've taken advantage of is you've taken that physical memory and you've now incorporated a deep level of gratitude into your daily practice. I have to, because it's very easy to go the other way. And obviously, you know, I have my bad days. Sometimes I want to wake up and just throw my leg across the room and never look at it again. And in fact, I even gave her a name. Her name is Felicia because I saw the quote, I wish I had Felicia's life. She's always going somewhere. But for me, when I incorporated her into my family, I wrapped her in a baby blanket, did a birth announcement when I first got my prosthetic leg, and we've incorporated a lot of humor into it. But that is me being okay with what's happened because, you know, I will never be able to go back and change this. I'm an amputee for the rest of my life. I'm a Boston Marathon bombing survivor, which I never thought anyone would be able to Google my name as a, a survivor of a terrorist attack. But sometimes in life, you know, we can't control everything that happens to us, but we can control how we respond to it. And so I want to respond with as much grace and gratitude and thankfulness that I can, because that makes it better. That makes it easier to deal with on a daily basis. Well, they made a movie about it. Walter, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. they did a couple movies. So. so it's a major event in life. Um, you're, you're a beautiful spirit and I appreciate Thanks. very much you sharing. So, um, you know, authentically with my audience and for those of you that are listening, um, Maybe re-listen to this and take some notes on it and, and pull out the lessons that Rebecca has shared with you and her wisdom. And um, I want to thank you so much for coming on today's podcast, Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. You know, we often talk about um, getting your finances in control so you can take care of the rest of your life. Now that you've had this event, um, how has it affected your finances? It's actually elevated them because now I'm not that scared, nervous person that's that's worried about putting myself out there and doing different things. And so I've allowed myself to really open up to different opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And so it's it's been really neat to see the the belief behind it. You know, I, I had to really rewire my system because I was made to believe for so long that I wasn't good enough and nothing I ever did was good enough by my biological father. And so it, it really was ingrained in me deep. And this has been a huge learning journey. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest fear we all have as humans. It's one of the things that as a coach, um, I work on endlessly with people. And there's so many ways to not feel enough because we are a comparing society and, you know, social media has just aggravated that and with all the filters and all of that sort of thing, it's really easy to compare your worst day to somebody else's best day or to somebody else's best filter. So yeah. it's an ongoing practice to 
put the oxygen mask on ourselves first. I say, you know, talk to yourself like you talk to your puppy or your dog. <laughs> um, we have a lot of tracks in our brain of ways we talk to ourselves, and some of the tracks that we all have, you and I, are is our father, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're not enough, you're stupid, you're an idiot, whatever it is. Um, I have plenty of those, you know, I call them the, the, the golden oldies, the 60s hits that <laughs> my father, um, you know, put in there. And so I think, you know, what the work you've done is to add some some new tracks, you know, a good disco track, a good, you know, puppy love track. And then you pull up on those in the jukebox of your mind and it's a choice to play your own voice. And so, you know, you've done a great job of doing that and you're a great example. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I love that. I, I'm definitely going to use that from now on, just the, the old tracks, because it's true. And we can, I think a lot of times too, we get hung up on what's happened to us and, oh, well, life is not fair. And my childhood was this and that. And yeah, I can pull out a lot of different things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but it's my life. And, and these events aren't the whole thing. And so the rest of it is really beautiful, but you have to make it beautiful and you have to look at the good stuff because the more you look at the good stuff, the more you're going to pull out of it anyway. Yeah. And the, the funny thing, Rebecca, is that we get these updates on our phones and computers and mm -hmm. if we don't update them, we can't use the software properly. We can't use the machinery properly. And yet yeah. many of us are still playing the old software from the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, whenever we were born that were suggestions at the time that we were kids from poor programmers, our parents or our teachers or our neighbors. And why keep on playing them? Why not upgrade the software, install some new beliefs, some new tracks, and then play those ones over and over again until they become who you are and what you're familiar with. And then you can recreate yourself and rebirth yourself. So I think you've done an amazing job at that. Thank you again so much, Rebecca. And um, it's a pleasure to, to have you on this and you and I are going through a course together, so we're, yes. I look forward to, um, to being friends and co-creating. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rock. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.